I just want to say the world is your teaching lesson right there. The world is your curriculum. There are so many things that you're constantly coming in contact. All you have to really do is slow down enough to listen to it. And you can use that as a teaching moment. And those are the moments that stick the most. And I especially say the more you do it and you start getting the eye rolls of like, yeah, I know dad, you know, that's when you know you're doing something right. I think eye rolls and then being able to repeat in some goofy voice what they know you're going to say, that means you're doing your job right. It means you're making your repetition more repetitive than the world's repetition. Welcome to the Strategic Families Podcast, where we challenge your family to be rooted in God's Word, energized with gospel-centered purpose, and activated on mission for His kingdom. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Families Podcast. So my guest today is author Hilary Morgan Ferrer, founder of Mama Bear Apologetics. Hillary has so much excellent wisdom to teach us in this interview about how we can approach our kids when it comes to defending the Christian faith. She discusses what apologetics is and why it's important, and she also gives a great framework for helping your kids hold on to what is true and reject what's false when it comes to what they're exposed to in the world. Her ministry is awesome, and I know you're going to love learning and hearing from her. If you haven't already, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you can be notified of future episodes, and make sure to leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Okay, on with the show. Well, Hillary Morgan Ferrer, so great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Excellent. I've really been looking forward to this. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today and share about your ministry and uh, help parents in this great work of apologetics. Before we get into all that, could you just introduce yourself to our listeners, to those who may not know you? Tell us who you are and uh, tell us all about your organization. Yeah, so my name is Hillary Ferrer, and our organization is Mama Bear Apologetics. And so it started probably back in maybe 2015 or so, but apologetics is something that I've been into since I was about 12. And this is one of the things that I really like to tell people my story because I want their kids' story to be the same as my story, uh, which is that um, I, I, you know, I was a very strong church-going girl, loved Jesus, wanted to be a missionary, was sad that I, when I found out that I couldn't be a nun without being Catholic, like I was like ready for it from, you know, from a young age. It, it wasn't until I, I was 12, our pastor did a series on apologetics from the pulpit. And it's like my little brain just exploded. Mm. Um, the series that he did. So for those who don't know what apologetics is, it's just making a rational defense for your faith, positive reasons to believe that this is actually true. And, you know, like the kids say, for real is true, not just, you know, we're saying we believe it. <laughs> I didn't really know how to talk to non-Christians back then. I just, I, I knew that w- what our church all believed, but I didn't know that I could interact with it if someone wasn't a Christian. Uh, And so our pastor did a series on the liar, Lord, lunatic, like who was Jesus? You know, Mm -hmm. could he have been a good teacher and claimed to be God? And it was either confused that he wasn't God or was just straight up lying that he wasn't God. And then he did it on for the evidences for the resurrection and the reliability of the New Testament documents. And especially the resurrection is the one that stands out because I had thought that I always just had to take it on faith. And we do have to take it on faith. We're not getting rid of faith here. Right. But what I realized is it took more faith to believe that something else happened than to believe that he rose from the dead. And Mm -hmm. at that point, I, I think we'll see kids their willingness to be bold about what they believe will be hinged upon how true they actually think it is. If they don't really kind of think it's true or they have no way of um, 
of, of defending that for themselves or for someone else, they're going to be a lot more quiet on, on the subject. And so it just kind of gave me a boldness in my faith that, you know, no, this is something that actually happened in history. Yes. And uh, no matter what I had go on my life, I go on in my life, any kind of suffering, any kind of even just sometimes, you know, veering, not, I never walked away from the Lord. I think I had some periods of of sin in my twenties where I was just learning how to be outside the nest and stuff. Sure. Sure. Um, and anytime I was tempted to believe that, like, am I just doing this because my parents did it? Am I just doing this because this mm. is what I grew up in? Or if I was just really angry at God for some reason, I always came back to the evidences for the resurrection. I would say, no, I would have to check my brain at the door in order to give up Christianity. It's the exact mm-hmm. opposite thing that people usually say about Christianity, that you have to check your brain at the door to become a Christian for me, it was the opposite. I couldn't unknow right. what I knew. Right. And so Mama Bear Apologetics is trying to, we realize like the parents really are the apologists in the kids' lives. They are the best youth pastors. They are the best disciplers. And what resources could I give to moms, especially because like, I'll be honest, dad, you're awesome. But moms get the most questions. Like you ask kids, what's something going on? Well, I want to ask mom. It's like sometime in the mid teens and usually like around politics, suddenly dad's dad's thoughts become more important (laughs) Uh, or, you know, like the right way to hit a baseball or something like that. But usually for everything is, you know, you say, oh, you have a question you can ask me. And they're like, "Mm, no, I'm going to wait for mom. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so uh, how can I quit moms? Because this is something I think that a lot of women wouldn't normally gravitate towards because I think women are very, they, we really do have kind of a gift of faith and just a gift of um, prayer and just uh, being able to follow something, even if we don't understand it completely. And so this is something that we may never study for ourselves, But it's absolutely something that when a woman sees or specifically a mom sees her children being threatened, you have a different creature that rises up. Yeah. And uh, that's why I was like, we need to harness this mama bear instinct to say, this is part of protecting your children is to be able to guide them in these conversations, be able to guide them in having that knowledge that Christianity is a reasonable, rational faith. And no matter what the world says, you'll, you you should feel a little bit dumber for rejecting it based on the evidence that there is for it. Yes. Oh, that's so awesome. That is, that is amazing. I think you're right. I kind of laugh in our home when the kids, I'll be sitting right there. And one of my kids will ask my wife a question. I'm like, am I, I thought (laughs) I was here. Maybe I'm not here. I I don't know what, what is happening, but you're right. Moms get a lot of questions and I love that your ministry is to help equip them to answer those questions. And I love, I want to hone in on something you said is so incredibly important that Christianity is based on an actual historical event, the resurrection of Jesus. And if that, you know, Paul says this in first Corinthians, like if that hadn't happened, I mean, this, let's be honest, this whole thing's a joke, right? Let's I mean, all like, go home. We have, right. We, in fact, it's, 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 we're of all people to be pitied, but it did happen. Christ did indeed rise from the dead. And that changes everything. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like that's the most important question in all of human history. Did yeah. Jesus Christ rise from the dead or not? And we affirm, yes, he did. And that should change everything. And I love what you're in part, what you're helping people see is like, it's not just that, but well, it has to be true. Otherwise, it, it does have to be true, but it is in fact true. And there's evidence for it. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Y'all also love this. We were, I was taking a walk with my kids the other day with the dog and, and someone asked me, I think I told them that I was going to do this interview with you. And, and this is my nine-year-old and she goes, what's apologetics. And I was like, all right, so you're not apologizing for anything. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I'm, I don't know the Greek behind it. I'm sure there's some connection, but, um, but basically I was saying, you know, it's defending the faith. 
So, mm-hmm. faith. so I wonder if you could just tease this out a little bit, because, you know, apologetics, I think it can be kind of a scary term. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you gave your definition of it, which is great. Can you just sort of make the case for us? Like, why is it important for, I know your ministry is to moms, but to moms and dads, why is it important that we take this seriously, that, you know, this, this call to be able to defend the faith? Yeah. So, so we can go through the Greek. So it's like some people pronounce it differently. I call it apologia. Some people call it apologia, but early lawyers were called apologists um, back in Mm -hmm. like in the, you know, first and the second century, because you have a case and you're trying to say this, the story that the, that I'm presenting to you is the true story. And I want the, the jury to agree with me that this is a true story of what happened. So apologetics is really just doing that. We're saying this is the story of Christianity. This is the story of Jesus of Nazareth who came and lived, died, lived a sinless life, mm. rose from the, uh, from the dead. And this whole worldview that's based around this that is argued for in scripture is actually true. And here's why. Here's why it makes sense. And it's like you can look at things that uh, that sociologists have come to discover. It's like, well, look at that. We've just, you know, reinvented something that was in Christianity. Like recently with the whole Roe versus Wade decision, Mm. there was somebody that was tweeting, someone famous was tweeting out like either, um, you know, girls, we're going to band together and we're just going to not have sex until, until we have control over our own bodies. And we're like, really not just not having sex so that you don't have children. This is groundbreaking. How could you have thought of that? Or they said, we need a way to make sure that men who get you pregnant are required to be there and to support you. And everybody's like, congratulations, you just invented traditional marriage. Um, So and just the research that shows that that kids flourish best in a house with a mother and a father that are biologically related to them. All these things that scripture has said are good. And this is the way we should conduct life. All of a sudden, science is like affirming all these things. So we can look at it from a uh, sociological perspective. We can look at it from a psychological perspective. Just um, when the Bible talks about whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy. Mm, We look at that in terms of uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, learning how to change your thoughts in order to combat depression. Uh, we can look at archaeology. My husband's doing a, a thing for Frank Turk right now where he's he's uh, given them all the biggest archaeological finds that reinforce mm. details from the Bible where people were like, man, that never happened. Oh, wait, yeah. no, we just found an archaeological dig with an inscription that just kind of describes exactly what you said. Right, right. So it's all these things to show us that the Bible is faithful in the history that it records. Mm. Um, and the things that can be tested, we can test which makes it to where the things that we need faith in, we can have faith in. Yes. And so if you think it's all just faith, there's a lot of things that can pull you away from something of where you just have to fit, have faith in, in nothing else. I mean, that can kind of, you know, depend on the weather, what's going on. But when you start having confidence in the things that you can test, and, and I also like what you said about his, uh, historically, Christianity isn't about an event in history. I wouldn't say it's just about an event in history. I would say it's the only religion that centers upon right. an event that happened in history that wasn't just one man's private revelation. Mm, right. Every other yes. religion is one man's private revelation. Right. That you can't, you, you just got to right. say, I believe him or I don't. I went off in the woods and uh, came back with this. Like, exactly. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's like our kids need to know that Christianity is different. It's something that even in the hard times, even when people are calling you names to your face, it is something that like, if you want to be on the side of truth, if you want to actually be living in reality, because this is part of reality, 
then this is what you can hang your hat on. This is what you can put your faith in. And it, it's just going to be this anchor that holds them in the faith. I, I like to say a lot of times that Jesus Christ saved my life um, or faith in Jesus Christ saved my life, but apologetics saved my faith. Yeah. Um, I was reading an article in National Geographic. This was probably, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And they said, you know, studied all this stuff. And it, it turns out that um, all of all of life, and when we look at the science, uh, it came down to one man. And, <laughs> and someone wrote a letter to the editor and they were like, huh, that sounds familiar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Genesis. You know, it's like, are you kidding me? But I want to sort of address the other side of this, because I know this is a part of your Mama Bear Apologetics book that is just um, so important is the lies. Mm, um, yeah. You know, I, I don't know what it was like 50 years ago. I wasn't around, but I imagine you tell me if I'm wrong, but I imagine we're facing a lot more lies than we used to face. Yeah. And so as parents, I mean, some of the struggles are the same, but some of them are different. I mean, we're dealing with all kinds of nonsense. And I, I was wondering if you could just tell us about some of the themes that you're hearing from parents or that you just see in the culture that parents need to address with their kids. Yeah. So first off, it's like a lot of people try to say, well, we shouldn't be looking at the counterfeits. We should, you know, to learn about a counterfeit, you look at the original. And yeah, that is true that we need to compare everything to the original. But I mean, there is a there is an argument to be made for an offensive strategy and a defensive strategy. And especially yep. like if you look in the Old Testament, when the Canaanites are coming, not the Canaanites, sorry, the Israelites are coming out of Egypt into the land of Canaan, that God actually does warn them. They do this. They do this. They do this. They do this. Yes, These are yes. the things that you're going to try to get sucked into. Yep. Don't get sucked into them or I will destroy you like I destroyed them. Yep. And so, uh, you know, people say good offense is a good defense. If we are unaware of the enemy's schemes, of the way he's trying to twist and distort something, we fall so easily prey to those. So um, mm. in the in the first book, the Mama Bear Apologetics book, it's um, uh, empowering your kids to challenge cultural lies. We kind of take on the history of thought from uh, like maybe uh, right before pre-modern times all the way up until now, looking at how truth itself has been redefined over mm. over the decades. Right. And so being aware, especially of postmodernism, this idea that, you know, words don't really refer to reality and that there really is no absolute truth. There's only kind of what you believe and then what someone else believes, and it's not going to be true for everyone. And they'll use things that are true. They will use truths to wrap this in. For example, everyone who has multiple kids knows there's not one right way to parent. You have to parent each child the way they are individually, because if you use one thing for one kid, it totally doesn't work with the other sure, kid. Yeah. So it's this concept that there are truths out there. There are methods that are different for different people, but instead of saying that these are limited and that there is such a thing as objective truth, something that is true for everyone at all times. Like, I don't think there's any parent that's going to say stabbing your, you know, sibling in the, in the eye with a fork is, you know, that's, you know, good job, son. Like there are some things that are true for all kids, no matter what their personality. Sure, yep. And so just this belief that there's really no absolute truth is probably one of the kind of bedrocks, if I can even call it that, because it's almost yeah. like removing the bedrock that all these other, we call them the isms are surrounding, um, or they're kind of built on and, the ones that I hear a lot uh, right now are specifically with regards to sexuality. Mm. I would say yep. every generation has kind of like their thing that they are really having to grapple with. And, and in some ways, every single generation has grappled with sexuality because that's always been the thing that we have been prone to disobey on. But yeah. we have not been, we have not had kindergarten teachers promoting 
things right. that uh, go against just uh, the concept of natural law. So we have something like God's right. law that says these are the, this is how you are to behave. This is what sexuality is. This is what marriage is. But there's also something that people ignore uh, called natural law, where we see that uh, like during the height of the sexual revolution, the number of uh, sexually transmitted diseases went from like, you know, six to like over a hundred. Um, or we see just the anatomy when people are trying to gauge in same-sex sexual relationships, the, the damage that it does to the body sure. or the damage from a lot of the transgender stuff. There is natural law that speaks against these things right. as well, but our kids are being told over and over and over again um, to look for my truth, his truth, right. her truth, their truth, and not the truth. Yes. And that who they really are is confined to what they think or what their interests are. But if we were to gauge, you know, gender based on what our interests are, I mean, if something's going to be your identity, I'm just, that's not very stable because people go through phases of interest. Sure. Um, so I would say sexuality would be probably one of the biggest ones. Um, I would say that undergirding a lot of the sexuality ideology, we are looking at uh, Marxism and critical theory, where it's saying that all of history can be defined by looking at the oppressors and the people who are oppressed. And that that's how we define everything. And our job is to uh, stand up for those who are oppressed and to silence the oppressors. Well, that sounds mm -hmm. really great until you start saying that every single Male identifying, they, they call it cis, uh, cisgender. I mean, you identify with your gender, cis, white, Christian, male, which that's you, bud. Like <laughs> you're the oppressor of all oppressors. And it doesn't matter <laughs> any of the good yeah. that you've done. You yeah. need to be silenced because you have historically oppressed so right. many people. Right. Yep. That's where we start and get into really dangerous ground. In fact, I even have a friend whose son has started identifying as transgender and it, he, he didn't say, well, this is why, but at one point she, he commented, he's like, I'm just so sick of being dumped upon. Mm. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. If we don't understand where these ideologies are coming from, if we don't undercut the lies that they're starting to believe, then we kind of leave them prey for so many different lies. So yeah, yes. that would be like the Marxism, the critical theory, the emotionalism, you know, this idea of my emotions, tell me what's true. Right. Um, it, it all started out with kind of with postmodernism, really. Right. I, I don't know if you've seen um, Matt Walsh's What is a Woman? Yes, I've watched that, that twice. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, you, you probably remember the scene where he says, okay, well, what if my truth, he's interviewing someone on the street, he says, what if my truth is that you don't exist? <laughs> the person I think goes, the person agreed to that. I'm yeah, like, well, they said, I well, that's... I mean, yeah, if that's your truth. And he goes, but you but you do like we're having this conversation. She goes, are we? Like, oh, that's right. Are we? Are we? <laughs> that's right. And so, I mean, I, and I know that's one of the points that, that you address in your book is that, I mean, it, in some ways we have to back up. We have to talk about just the very idea of truth itself. Like can truth even exist? And we have to ask that question and, yeah. or answer that question. And, you know, and I love that apologetics does this and I've dabbled in it enough to, to, to know some of the, you know, some of the tools and resources, but like, I, I love the idea that, you know, when you get a statement like that, you can say, okay, well, you're saying there is no absolute truth, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. That is an absolute statement. So yeah. are you claiming are you that absolutely, absolute absolutely true? There's yeah. Absolute yeah. You know, truth. you can like turn, you know, turn it yeah. around and, and, and obviously the point is not like, gotcha. You know, the point yeah. is we want them to know Christ. And that's, that's one of the things that I, you know, I'm going to get worked up here, but <laughs> 
like the whole point of this is that we want people to know the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. All these mm-hmm. lies are leading people astray. It's not like, well, there's just a list of things over here. Oh, and you got it wrong on the test. Like this has real life implications. Like yeah. lives are really being destroyed. And through through apologetics and, you know, especially as parents of our kids, we can help them see these lies for what they are yeah. and combat them to help our kids, you know, cling to the truth and know the truth. And I wanted to, I wanted to quote your book for a second, if I could, because the, the next topic, and sorry, I'm going off script a little bit, but That's I'm, okay. sure, I'm sure you can address this is, um, so you talked about a lot of these, you know, big lies as sexuality and, and Marxism and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I thought it'd be helpful to, to sort of look into how do these enter our kids' minds? Because, yeah. you know, like they may not hear, you know, I'm a Marxist and, you know, yeah. struggle is a thing and all that. And yeah. one of the things you said in your book is you said, everything our children watch or hear is either nourishing or harming their spiritual body. And then later you said, we want to keep our kids safe, but part of keeping them safe is teaching them to discern for themselves. And that just, you know, that word discern, I know is yep. a big word, but can you just talk about like, what are the, the uh, roots of exposure, if you will? And then what do we need to be on guard against as parents? Yeah. So one of the things that I think that is just something that we've always known, but we've kind of forgotten is that repetition is a type of teacher Mm, that uh, there's a book called Thinking Fast and Slow by uh, David Kahneman. And he says in there that uh, familiarity is not Englishly easily distinguished from truth. Um, the, basically the brain hears something over and over again, and it kind of becomes this truism that you never have to actually prove that it's like, Mm -hmm. this is where the concept of old wives tales, something that was circulated so much. And so the things that are being circulated right now is the idea of their truth and my truth, the idea of, um, that uh, you can be born in the wrong body. The idea that, uh, Mm. that only I can know myself for sure. And that my, what's going on in my brain is my authentic self Mm. and all of this stuff, you know, on my physical body doesn't really tell me anything about it in order to live a flourishing life. I need to be able to live my authentic self. And again, this is wrapped in that kernel of truth of be yourself that, yeah, we shouldn't try to be someone who we're not supposed to be. You know, I've, I tried on lots of different identities as I was, you know, am I more of a musician? Am I more of a, an art nerd? And it's like, it really, I didn't find my people till I got into apologetics because I've always gravitated towards Mm -hmm. maybe intellectual things. Mm -hmm. And my dad was one of those ones that was always encouraging that because he could see that that's who I was. Um, so there is this truth of like, I shouldn't try to be someone that I'm not, sure, but yeah. at the same yep. time, there are parameters around what it means to be human mm-hmm. that when we start trying to go outside of those parameters, that it becomes very unhealthy. And so, but the kids, all they hear is that kind of true sounding thing. Just be yourself. Don't let anyone else tell you who you are. Be yep. true to yourself be your authentic self. If your kids start yep. coming home and start talking about their authentic self, you need yeah. to, you need to take that red as a flag. sign. Yes. Yeah. That is a red flag that they've had people speaking this into them. Yeah. So repetition is one of them, but the, I would say the second one is a, a concept that I looked everywhere for a word for it and I couldn't find it. So I finally coined one in the linguistic theft chapter. And it's this idea that it's like some people might say, oh, that's real. That sounds like the um, equivocation fallacy. Equivocation fallacy means using the same word in two different means. And that isn't exactly what linguistic theft is because usually with equivocation, you're not meaning opposite things. Uh, With linguistic theft, it's straight up coming in, taking Christian sounding words and virtues like love and tolerance and stuff like that, 
things that they know that everybody always already agrees on and then changing the definition. Right. So the changing the definition of what it means to love, changing the definition of tolerance went from treating each other with kindness despite disagreement toward, um, and now it's, you're not even allowed to recognize that you agree because if you yeah. say that you disagree, then you're rejecting a, a person's very identity sure, yep. and um, causing them harm. So these are two very different definitions. Mm-hmm. But if someone says, well, doesn't your, your Bible teach you that you're supposed to love? It says Jesus is love. What about, it says that uh, you are to live at peace uh, with all men as far as it depends on you. Okay. What do we mean by peace? Are we again, meaning that we're agreeing to lies or, right, um, but right. they're just taking words to confuse kids yeah. and then turning it back. Well, I mean, not just kids, everybody, and then turning it back on them and saying, you're being a hypocrite to what your Bible actually says, because you're not going along with our definition mm. of what this word means, but they haven't signaled that they have a completely different definition. Yeah. Right. So this way, I think kids are being tricked into agreeing th- into things that they would normally never agree with if they actually have a biblical worldview. Yeah. Right. And so in, in, in a lot of ways, they are being trained to think in a way that I've never seen before, you know, in my, you know, 43 years of existence. I know it's not super long, but to think that evil is good and good is evil. Like I I even saw Mm -hmm. something on Instagram from an apologetics group and they were quoting someone that says, you know, you just need to do the next right thing. And I just kind of made a comment. I'm like, that assumes that people know what right and wrong is anymore, because if what you think is right, is actually what the Bible calls wrong. Yeah. And you say, I need to do the next right thing. Well, what exactly is that? Yeah, no, that's right. I, Yeah, it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, the, those little banners. And w- one of the sentences is kindness is everything. Mm. And I, I don't know, I guess if you just read it real quick and you know, yeah, kindness is a good thing. Like, it's not nothing, but it's not everything. <laughs> no, kindness is not everything. Yeah. That That's a false statement. You know, like that's like kindness is important, uh, yeah. obviously. And the Bible speaks about kindness and God's kindness leads us to repentance. That's great. But like, where does that come from? You know, so I, I try, I mean, definitely imperfect, but I was reading a book on my five-year-old the other day. It was a Disney book and probably an old book. And it was all like the point of the book was believing yourself. That was oh, it. yes. Yes. And, and at the end of it, I was like, that's, that's a dumb message. I actually said that to my five-year-old, like, like, okay, I want you to be confident, you know, in life and stuff, mm-hmm. but like, so to leave that with like, believe in yourself. I mean, imagine what manner of awfulness that could take a kid down. Just, just believe in yourself. If you believe it hard enough that you can breathe underwater, don't follow that. <laughs> don't follow your heart oh and don't believe in yourself. Yes. I mean, in the, in the Bible so clear, the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Like, and so we need to bring, and I know this is what you do in your ministry. We, we have to bring all the, take all of these thoughts captive yep. and make them obedient to Christ. And that's difficult because like you said, it requires discernment. I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. you know, there's like, it's a lot of good. And then there's just one line. I mean, sometimes in the car, I'm like, there'll be a great, it's a great song. And I'll, I'll like stop it and be like, all right, that's, that line's not true. I'm not throwing out the whole song, but <laughs> this is exactly what parents should be doing. And I think sometimes parents think of doing apologetics training as like, Oh, what else am I going to have to put on, on top of everything that I'm doing? But yeah, exactly. I'm not, I just want to say the world, the world is your teaching lesson right there. Yes, the world is right. your curriculum. Right. There are so many things that you're constantly coming in contact. All you have to really do is slow down enough mm. to listen to it. And you can use that as a teaching moment. And those are the moments that stick the most. And I especially say, the more you do it and you start getting the eye rolls of like, yeah, I know, dad, you know, 
Uh, that's when you know you're doing something right. I think eye rolls and then being able to repeat in some goofy voice what they know you're going to say. That means you're doing your job right. right. It means you're making your repetition more repetitive than the world's repetition. Got it. Oh, that's beautiful. Okay. So I'm going to keep doing it until I see an eye roll and then go, yes, got it. Arrived. (laughs) And then keep doing it even after that. (laughs) That's right. I love, I love that, you know, the pedagogical value of repetition. I think that's huge. That's awesome. I want to talk about this chew and spit method that you have. Yeah. What a cool concept. Can you explain that? What do you mean by that? How do we, how do we use it as parents? Well, you just kind of, you just gave a great example of what that looks like. You know, you're bebopping to a, the song and all of a sudden they have this one line and you're like, wow, I don't think that's necessarily true. And so, yeah, putting it on pause and be like, what do you think about that kids? This line says this, do you think that's true? I have this, I don't know. Is this going to be going out in audio or video format? Just, just audio. Okay. So people can't see me. So one of the things I like to do with parents, um, especially parents of young kids, is, is I put both my hands together. So I'm closing my hands, kind of like a little kid praying, mm-hmm. that we talk about how most everything is going to be a mixture of these truth and lies, or good and bad, or biblical and unbiblical. Right. Most every idea is, uh, and, and every kind of media that you watch is going to be a mixture of these. Right. What you want to do is separate the good from the bad. What I'm doing is I'm unlocking yep. my fingers, separate yep. the good yep. from the bad, re- accept the good, and reject the bad. Oh, got it. So That's what the, your kids need to know is that every song, every movie, even every sermon Uh-oh. needs to be looked at with yeah. this level of scrutiny. John and I have gone to churches when we were trying to find a church to go mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. where they refer to God as she yeah. Um, yeah. and uh, or, or have just said Check, some please. things. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. And even ones where we really yeah. fully affirm they have a guest speaker come in and talks about how, you know, everybody go out and seek to have an uh, experience with an angel this week. And I'm like, nope, nope, no, you should not do that. <laughs> That's a way to get into trouble. Um, uh, there, even from pastors that we really respect, if they just say something wrong or we're like, I don't think we're on the same page with yeah, that. I don't think yeah. that's scriptural. Nobody is going to be perfect there. I, sure. I like to say there's no person with theology so sound that you're never going to get a piece of heresy from them. And there's no atheist so bad that you're not going to get a nugget of truth. So if they're learning to just discount what people say based on who they are, instead of based on what they say, then they are not going to be able to recognize some of God's truth because all truth is God's truth. There is, there is no truth that is apart from him. And so we want them to be able to recognize it where they find it. And we want them to know that even people they thought were safe will sometimes say something. They say, mm, I don't think that's quite true. This is especially true in, in sermons where you have two different audiences and they're trying to address both of them, but they really only address one of them. Uh, Like, you know, you'll have people that are struggling with sin that just feel so dirty before God that they, they, they need someone to tell them that there is hope for them. And then you have people who are looking for a loophole in order to not feel bad about the way they sin that you can have a message that goes out to them. That is absolutely awesome for one and absolutely detrimental to the other. Mm -hmm. So you need to be able to recognize, Mm -hmm. um, even when someone says something that's true, that uh, maybe this audience, that's not true for it. It's like they, they, they do need to submit themselves. Uh, to mm. the Lord, um, just anything like that, where um, yeah. things can slip in, just being aware that if you agree with everything that someone says, like, and you never have a disagreement with them, you need to start looking at, am I really listening to what they say? Yeah. Or are they, or are they saying anything of substance? I remember there was um, a one um, woman who is, we'll say she was a popular women's speaker. 
a while back that has kind of gone off the rails in different yeah, ways yeah. and uh, listening to an interview. And I remember because I was going to be doing something, I think with Elisa, where we, we were going to be talking about it. And I got about halfway through and I'm like, she hasn't really just said anything I disagree with yet. And I thought about it and I was like, she hasn't said anything. I disagree. Has she said anything at all? Has she made any kind of claim? <laughs> and she hadn't. And it was like, after I was like, yeah, into yeah. the sense of, well, this isn't so bad. Then she started coming out with all this stuff that, you know, yeah. I was like, oh, no, that's, that's, that's not true. That's not true. Yep. That's not true. Yep. Um, so, but if kids think that all they have to do is define a teacher as a good or a bad teacher, um, and that's going to tell them whether or not they reject or embrace something or a song or music or a movie, or even, mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure there's something even heretical in veggie tales. If we want to look for it, always have your guard up um, so yep. that you can embrace the truth and reject lies. Yep, exactly. And I think it's first John that talks, us, talks about testing the spirits. Yeah. And that's one of the things again, very imperfectly, but that my wife and I try to do is like everything needs to be filtered through the lens of scripture. And, mm -hmm. you know, obviously there, there, there are plenty of, specific things that scripture may not address specifically, but everything we need to know is there. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I just, I love the idea of Christian worldview and it's, it's something that I feel like I'm growing in still myself. I, I wanted to, um, I, I wanted to ask you if there are, you know, there are some difficult subjects for parents. I mean, we talked about transgenderism yeah. um, and, it, you know, when it comes to, um, it, you know, we don't need to get into the specific ages, but like, I'm curious your perspective on should we in general as parents wait until our kids are exposed to things or do you think it's better to go ahead and like hey look you're going to be facing this let me just let's go ahead and talk about it right now and what questions do you have about this I don't know or is it somewhere in between I, I think it's somewhere in between so I'll give you an argument kind of for both cases yeah <laughs> um so on on the first case there's something where this is another thing that I've looked for a name of this thing and so I finally gave it a name I call it the founders effect and that is that the first person who address, uh, who uh, introduces you to a topic becomes the expert in your yes. eyes. Like yep. I still remember yep. the first lecture I ever heard on the bacterial flagellum <laughs> um, and, and for all you science nerds out there in intelligent design <laughs> and irreducible complexity. And it was Michael Behe who happens to be an ex the expert on this. But, you know, it could have been very easily been someone else that I would, you know, then see as the expert. And, and I remember even several years later after I'd got my master's trying to remember what it was that he talked about that was so groundbreaking. And I came back and discovered, oh, it was the bacterial flagellum. Yeah. But I thought he had some new concept that, you know, I'd forgotten about before, but it was because he was the first one to introduce that. So uh, when they are trying to say, who am I going to go to for questions about this later? It will often be the person who introduced it to them. So if mm, they get introduced yep. to things by their friend on the playground or by yep. Dr. Google, mm -hmm. um, that's who they're going to go back to. Yeah. So I, I want to say introducing them the concepts. Now you don't have to be like, you're going to sit here and listen about all about transgenderism and sex. My sweet little <laughs> four-year-old um, that you don't always have to go into everything. Cause there are some kids who's uh, some parents I've heard whose kids are still blissfully unaware at 10 and 11 years old, which right. oh my, that's actually in our town. Our town's pretty, pretty sheltered. Um, <laughs> but uh, there's some kids that they are just oblivious to all this sure. stuff and you don't want to go and pop that beautiful childhood bubble. Like good grief. We want them to be as, as innocent as for as long as possible, right, but yeah. 
start looking at um, saying, have you heard about this? Or what have you heard about this? Have you heard your friends talking about, you know, whatever? And it might be something you're walking through Target. You see something, you're like, what do you think about that? What do you think love is love means? Yeah. Um, yeah. Have you heard about that? And if they haven't, then just be like, you know what? If you ever have any questions on this, come to me because we can talk about it. Um, yeah. And that way you're not, you're not just making them kind of... Um, hear things that they're not prepared for. This is where you really need to know your child. I know Amy, one of the mama bears that works with us, she has one kid that it's like is super aware of everything going on yeah, and the yeah. other one that's just completely clueless. And so she has to address them as, as they are like that, but they have, they have facilitated a home where questions are encouraged, the, yes. the honest discussions we'll have there to the point where their boys bring friends over and their friends are like, Miss Amy, I hear that you'll answer a lot of questions. <laughs> Uh, that's great. Um, yeah. So you really want your home to be like that. And um, yeah. a friend of mine, Katie Faust, she wrote the book, Them Before Us. And it's it's just talking about the, the need that children have for a biological mother and father. But mm -hmm. uh, her and her co-writer have something called the no flinch rule, where you need to be preparing yourself for all the things. Yes. So they live in the Pacific Northwest. So when their child comes home and says, why is that man leading that other man around on a leash? Right. Yeah, uh, they need to be able to address that. You know, yes. here in small town Iowa, we may not see that, but you know, yeah. up in Seattle, you might. Yeah, right. Um, without freaking out. Without freaking question. out, yeah, because right. if you freak out, then they're thinking, "Oh, well, I made mom mad," or yes, right. uh, and then they don't want to come to you anymore. So it's like it's really good to just. You know, maybe, maybe you and your spouse at night, sometimes just think of, be like, think of the most shocking thing they could possibly ask. And we're just going to yeah. practice our no flinch face to be prepared for it. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. And I love the idea. I think we'll be most effective if we are, I don't know if this is the right word, but dispassionate meaning, yes. we're, you know, we're not, you know, yeah, that's crazy. I can't believe they're doing it, which yes. I am it so guilty of that. I can't even tell you, I see it in my kids. I'm like, did that to them. <laughs> I made them that way. But yeah, no, I, I really, I like that. I think that's, I think that's true. We want them to come to us with questions. Mm -hmm. One of my, one of my brothers in the Lord, he, that's one of his like primary parenting philosophies is I want open lines of communication. Like the worst thing, like one of the worst things that can happen is my kids cut me off. And so he always just wants to make sure they know they can come to him with anything. And I think, I think that's, that's great. Our kids are still relatively young and I think they still feel that, but they, yeah, you still I, know everything to them. It's a beautiful yeah, phase exactly. and, and love it while you're there. Yes. Unless exactly. you're my dad, he still knows everything. So <laughs> I heard a, a quote from Mark Twain, uh, you know, my, uh, my oldest is 13 and you know, he's getting into those teenage, he's a teenager now. And I heard this Mark Twain quote. He said, when I was, when I was 15, my dad didn't know anything. And then when I turned 21, I could not believe how much the old man had learned in six years. <laughs> yeah, that's that about right. Yeah. I was like, oh, I your kid's that. 13. Okay. You absolutely know nothing right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, um, I, I'm thinking, you know, just sort of call to action for parents who might be mm -hmm. like, all right, I'm, I'm in, like, I see the need for apologetics. It's not as scary as I thought I can do this. Where would you recommend they start? I mean, your book, obviously, but are there, um, you know, including your book, are there some other things that you'd say, all right, you can take this one or two steps in the next, mm -hmm. in the next week or next month. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's a couple of ones. So I, again, I think if you want to orient yourself to the worldviews that are circling around right now that you're going to be seen in all sorts of different language, I think the first mama book is absolutely a great place to start. Um, if you want to start looking at maybe some of the specific questions that kids might have, uh, Natasha Crane has several series of books where it's talking to your kids about Jesus, talking to your kids about God. And I think even her one 
um, keeping your kids on God's side has a variety of different kinds of questions, but it's the kind of thing where um, I think it would be a great idea. Number one, I think all families need to do this in general is to make dinner time sacred. That is Mm. sacred time. Yes. Um, and to print out some of those questions on little note cards and then, you know, who wants to pick the question for tonight, you know, reach into the bowl, you know, you have your handy dandy cheat sheet, you know, book next to you, but start introducing some of these questions. You don't want the first place they hear these questions to be coming from some, some atheist on the internet. You want the first time that they're introduced to these things to be coming from you right before you talk through them. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's something to do. I I mean, really the, the thing I, I love is just being able to use the world as your te- as your classroom. Yeah. In which case, the first Mama Bear book I think is is good with such a broad category of of yeah. things that you'll hear. Uh, when it comes yeah. to if you want your kids to really have a firm grasp, and I would say you know maybe around the time when they're twelve, which is when I I was introduced to it. You could even depending on how precocious they are, maybe do younger. I love. J. Warner Wallace's Cold Case Christianity. And this goes mm-hmm. through some of those basic apologetics topics that we talked about, the, like the resurrection, the existence yep. of truth, um, I think is in there, and uh, the reliability of New Testament documents. It's like, if, if all we're teaching kids is to know the Bible, but they have no reason to think that the Bible's reliable, it's, you know, it, we have to have faith to believe that the, the Bible is God's word, but we don't need faith to believe that the Bible was at least reliably transmitted yeah, throughout right. time. Cause you'll always have the people being like, oh, the Bible's like the game of telephone where it just changes and changes and changes. Yeah, yeah. So I think that, and he even has a cold case Christianity for kids where your kid kind of can go through their version, which he's a cold case detective. He, he teaches you basically how he looked at evidence as he worked with, you know, FBI and and police Mm -hmm. detective work and all that stuff. And then you have the adult version. Y'all can go through it together. I think that Mm -hmm. is a great one for just kind of that basic foundation. Yeah. So just, I think making yourself the place where questions um, are known, the place where you're just addressing things as they pop up, really the, the hardest part about that is just educating yourself to where you even recognize it when it's out there. One of the, the easiest things I think right now is familiarizing yourself with the buzzwords that we talk about in the linguistic theft chapter. And I, I even recommend to people have a buzzwords board next to your TV that when you hear these certain buzzwords, you know, mm, something might be trying to be smuggled into this, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, you know, and so you can start recognizing that. Yeah. Um, and so those are just some simple tips that you can start out from the very beginning. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, those are, those are great ideas. Thank you so much for those recommendations. Well, I'm sure there's going to be some people listening that they want to follow you. How can they uh, connect with you and, and follow your ministry? Yeah. So we are located at mamabearapologetics.com. And I like to make sure everyone knows that spelled M-A-M-A because we got all sorts of funky spellings of mama out there. And <laughs> sometimes people will like even email me from the website and they're like, I have your book. And then they spell mama some, you know, M-O-M-M-A or M-A-M-M-A. I'm like, that's mama. Like you a bad mama, Jamma. Um, But uh, so M-A-M-A, um, bearapologetics.com. We're on um, Instagram. And I-, I like to personally do a lot of the interactions on Instagram. We're on Facebook. I let Lindsay and um, Amy take care of the wasteland that is Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah. um so yeah we're we're just in those places and you can go to youtube to our channel for we started doing our podcasts in in vlog form just because if we're okay. record if we're yeah. getting the audio from the video we might as well post the video so we've yeah. got that you can go to apple itunes or spotify all the different places for podcasts and find the mama bear apologetics podcast and so 
Yep. And just know that we have um, two books out plus the two study guides. One of them is just a kind of regular study guide. The other, the other one is both study guide and discipleship workbook. So the Mama Bear Apologetics Guide to Sexuality, Empowering Your Kids to um, Understand and Live Out God's Design. Uh, mm-hmm. That is also available. And then in the discipleship workbook, we go through kind of the study guide questions for people to have group discussion uh, with that. But we also give all these really practical um, activities that you can do with your kids to help them kind of wrap their little brains around some of these real big concepts that we're doing in a way that's not like detailing. You don't have to go all into everything in sex to come out with a category in their head of things that are so powerful that they need to be guarded. Right. Um, Right. So that would be just how how you can connect with us. And uh, yeah, we have places that you can contact. If you'd like to bring us out for speaking, there's a speaking page on there that you can fill out a request. Um, questions. I try to get to those sometimes just give me a little bit of grace that it sometimes takes me a while to get back, but I do try to eventually get back with most, most questions that I get. Excellent. Yeah. I encourage everybody to check those out. Thank you so much, Hillary Morgan Ferrer for your time and your ministry and all that you guys do there to equip parents for this incredibly important work of uh, teaching our kids the truth and modeling the truth for them and helping them discern lies and, uh, and cling to Christ. It's an awesome ministry. And we're so, so thankful to you and and your team. And uh, thank you so much for your time today. Ah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Hillary, thank you so much for all this wisdom and for your excellent ministry, especially to moms, of course, but also to dads. So thankful to you and your team for how you're strengthening families and helping us defend our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep up the awesome work. Okay, so my song recommendation for this episode is Switchfoot's Native Tongue from the album of the same name. It's just a really cool song, so turn it up, jam out to it with your kids, and enjoy. All right, that's it for now. We'll see you next time.